Samantha Riley here from samanthariley.com.au and you're listening to the Unlimited Influence Podcast, Episode 71. Today I chat with James Shramko, who's the author of the Amazon bestseller, Work Less, Make More. It was a great time to chat to James as we're getting ready to ramp up into 2018. We chatted about the three layers of planning that you need to do in your business and where and when you check in to make sure that you're achieving your targets. We talked about building a team. So when do you start to build your team? How you start to build your team? And some of the areas that you might need to review to ensure that your team stays on track. And we also chatted how to know whether your current business has the capacity to bring in six figures this year. So stay tuned as James shares a ton of value in this episode. Hey everyone, Samantha Riley here, and I'm super excited to be welcoming today's featured guest, James Shramko. James is the founder and CEO of Superfast Business and Silver Circle. In his eight years as a business coach, he's helped over 2,000 of his students create and maintain six, seven, and eight-figure businesses, and currently owns and runs two online business coaching communities. He's author of the Amazon best-selling book, Work Less, Make More. Welcome to the show, James. It's very nice to be here. Thank you, Samantha. I'm very excited because we've just launched into 2018 and it's a, a great time of the year to reflect and plan because I think it doesn't matter how well you do in a year of business, I don't know anyone that's happy just to continue. You know, Everyone I've met always wants to do better. So I think we're going to have a great conversation today. But before we do, there was a really brief intro into who you are, but I'd love you to to pull back the curtain a little bit and give us a bit of background into, you know, where you've come from, what you're doing and what makes you tick. Well, I guess in, in essence, I had a high paid job running a Mercedes Benz dealership as a general manager. And in my sort of early 30s, I was starting to sense that I didn't want to become one of those bitter old men, you know, with gray hair, cruising around in a suit and tie every day, working long weeks. And I made a determined effort to change and to escape that uh, in what, you know, from the outside looks like a very prestigious and glamorous job. You get nice cars and, and you get all the fancy clothes and you feel important. But I wasn't feeling like I was living. Mm. I felt like, you know, I don't want to wait 30 more years to get to 65 till I magically retire and then sit around doing nothing. Mm. And so I got stuck into uh, learning how to build a website which is, by the way, something I don't recommend people do anymore. <laughs> and uh, I, I ventured into the online world. Maybe this is about 12 years ago now. So I, I felt at the time maybe I was too late, but obviously I wasn't. And I still don't think it's too late to get into the online world because you can't escape it. Any business is there. So I guess I was lucky enough and uh, intuitive enough to pursue that world. And it became a big deal. And it's allowed me to let go of the job and then to build a business that really centers around my idea of living. So I guess if you were to sort of look at my life now, it's it's the way that I live is more like I'm semi-retired, but the business funds that and it's still extremely profitable. And that's why I felt compelled to document that. Mm. I believe that at the time that you were working in the car dealership and you decided that you were going to get out and you had to make that money so that you could that you were working some crazy hours, like 9.30 at night till 3 in the morning. That yeah. means <laughs> I don't know many people that would do that. Tell us about, you know, at, you, you talked about the time that you decided to leave. Take us on the journey from the time that you decided that, okay, this isn't where I want to be through this period because, the, I, I don't know, was there times in there where you thought this isn't really what I was expecting and I'm not going to be able to get through this? 
Well, like a lot of people, I saw uh, a taste for some of the online um, dream lifestyle and uh, leveraged profits. I saw a couple of offers that looked enticing and I started listening to the experts at the time who were mostly American mm-hmm. and definitely unreachable and untouchable. You would have to pay for their information and it was at high rates and you'd never get any direct contact with them, which is, you know, a decade later, I provided the solution that I wish I'd had back then, mm. which is accessibility to someone who actually knows what they're doing. So I found it extremely frustrating and difficult because by day I was running the dealership. I had everything systemized. Everyone was doing what they were supposed to do. There was over 70 staff. And by night, it was just me rolling out a 10-foot cable to the dial-up with my <laughs> laptop on my, on my lap, trying to figure out how to put together a website with affiliate links so that people could buy my products that I was recommending and I'd get a commission but it actually took about nine months until I made any money. And I remember uh, feeling like it just shouldn't be this hard. I, I, it was so difficult. It was surprising, you know, shockingly difficult. I, I thought I'm a, I'm a person of reasonable intelligence. Uh, I have had good business success. Why is this so difficult? And it's not like the magical experience that these experts are telling me that it will be like. Mm. And and that was just – it really was the phase that my clients t- told me that I would go through, which is like crawling over broken glass mm. or that period where you have to eat uh, eat beans. One mm. of my very rich clients told me he used to eat you – know, he ate beans out of a tin for a few years while he put all the money he had into a property development in North Ryde and he ends up now owning most of the residential buildings in North Ryde. He's wow. a decamillionaire. Yeah. So with anything new, even surfing, there is a a brutal startup phase where you will be challenged beyond measure and it's the grit and the discipline and the motivation that gets you past that that gives you a good future. So you do have to have a hard now for a better future and that's a bit that a lot of people just shirk. I think they'd rather watch Netflix and sit on the couch and eat their takeaway and go back to work the next day and ride it out until the, the timer kicks in, you know, to say go home. Yeah. And they just do it over and over again. But I was determined you know, not to be stuck in that job because I could see the economic fallout happening in America. Uh-huh. And as you probably read in my book, I'd been through this whole thing with my parents. And I didn't want to go through it with my own kids where we lose all our money and end up going from rich to poor because that, that's – it really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so it really I guess I was does. very, you know, I was, I was quite motivated to make the change, and I found it far more difficult. So I would literally work two jobs. I worked my day job, and I worked my night job. And my night job eventually, very slowly, started to take. And then I was able to speed up the success that I was having with it to the point where about two and a half years in, where I was so unhealthy that I was. You know, physically couldn't work anymore. Like I was absolutely to the limit. I felt felt like I was probably getting heart palpitations, and I was pale and overweight and stressed. But I just had, I just felt like I had to do it. It was something driving me that uh, I could hardly even explain. But I think it was just my my childhood experience. Mm-hmm. I'm almost a little relieved that you told that story about the brutal brutal startup phase. I have started 
six or seven companies myself now. And I thought you were going to tell me that I'd got it wrong with that brutal startup phase. So I'm a little relieved that I, that, that you also had that. However, it is about doing that startup phase so that you can come out the side, the other side and work less and make more, which is what I want to talk about. One of the beginning parts of your book that I really loved, and this is something that one of my very first business coaches helped me with when I was going through that same phase that you were talking about. When I thought, oh my goodness, like I feel like I would rather poke my fork with eyeballs than keep going. And it's the three layers of planning that you talked about. And I believe that this for me personally was a huge relief in getting my life back on track because our, our business isn't just this little thing that happens and then your life is on the side. It's, it's all one thing, right? So can you take us through the three layers of planning? So for the people that are getting to the end of that startup phase, that they can start to put things into place to get through the other side. Sure. I mean, it's a great time of year to be talking about that. I think, um, the three layers of planning, uh, a good starting point if you, if you're not sure where you want to go or how to get there. So layer one is just like goal setting. And for me, that is, um, it's kind of like a visioning exercise of really knowing what it is that you want. So in, in the case of where we talked about my difficult phase, and as an aside, I put together the book and my coaching solutions so that people will never have to go through what I had went through because mm-hmm. I, I really felt like a pioneer there. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> this visioning exercise is just knowing what future you actually want, like thinking about it. I was so clear that I needed to cut loose from the, the dealership that that was my vision. and. I was also happy to put up with the constraints that come with this uh, in the future. Like I would, I would imagine what it'd be like. I used to actually look around the office and imagine what if that person over there was doing research, and what if that person there was writing content, and what if that person there was doing the website, and what if that person there was running the the traffic campaigns? I wonder what my business could be like. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so I, was, I actually uh, I've done a lot of visioning, and I think I probably picked up that habit from reading Maxwell Maltz's book Psycho Cybernetics, mm-hmm. where he was explaining how if you, uh, especially athletes, if they imagine a result before it happens, they can actually improve their score. Mm-hmm. So I imagine what it's like, and what what will be the price that I have to pay for this? Um, is it worth it? And once I understand that, then then I really, you know, lock it in and I imagine it. I, like you can go as far as you want with this. You can imagine what it smells like and sounds like and tastes like and try and involve all the senses. But I think people who clear on what they want seem to, to get a better result. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a counter argument that's saying, look, we don't know what to want. Like that Steve Jobs thing, people don't know what they want until you give it to them. Um, but I think in in most cases, we maybe know that we don't want to put up with some of the compromises that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Um, layer two is then putting aside the time to actually get this stuff done. So I'm really keen on time blocking and scheduling mm. because if you don't, life will just come along and suck you away into its tide. So that's what I was sort of saying about the, the hard now for a better future. If you can actually block time in your scheduler, for you to do the work that's going to need to be done. Then you can start scoring the activities that you have to get through and making sure that you line up the high impact activities into those scheduled times. So for example, in my business, one of the most important things that I need to do each week is do at least one piece of content that I would publish as a podcast. 
if I can make sure that I do that every week, then my business will run well. So I could actually set a diary alert to say, record a podcast. Mm-hmm. It could be as simple as that. Um, and then the third layer is really just making sure that you check in and, and synchronize. So whilst it's great that everyone's doing their planning and, and goal setting in January, there's no reason why you can't do it any other time of the year. Mm-hmm. And I make sure that I pull up every 12 weeks and reset. And this is giving me a perfect filter or barrier uh, from things taking me off course. So it's like if something comes along that is not within my 12-week time frame, then I just put it to the side and I say, you know what, let me review that when I get there. And the other thing it does, it gets rid of this long sort of yearly goals thing, which just seems so far away. It seems a long way away till next Christmas mm-hmm. right now. You know, we're talking January. So it's tempting if you set a goal for the year, you might just push it off until later. However, if we're talking about a 12-week distance, that that kind of catches up fairly quickly. So the the technique here is really just having faster cycles, shortening those timelines. And that way, you will make um, more progress because you can see the results coming and you'll get four cycles in a traditional 12-month period. Mm. And what I love about that is as humans, it is normal for us to put things off to the last minute. And if you're only putting things off, you know, and, and reevaluating in the middle of December and thinking, oh, I haven't reached my, you know, my sales targets or I haven't reached whatever goal that I've set, it, it's almost a bit late. Where if we're checking it four times a year, at least you've got four different opportunities to be able to hit those goals and ultimately, you know, far exceed per, definitely what we would have in one year. Yeah, it's a nice balance between getting stuff done, like sticking to something for long enough to get a result, which I think eludes many people, mm. and uh, also being able to change and adapt and innovate because that's the other thing, it, depending on what industry you're in, especially in my industry where there's a high proportion of online, there will be trends or or techniques that are worth reviewing on an occasion. Like, for example, at the time of recording this starting to see a lot of people using things like chatbots to help with their Facebook marketing campaigns. So if it wasn't in the current 12-week period, we don't have to get distracted with it and start rushing off and implementing it tomorrow because that takes us off whatever we were supposed to be doing. Uh, Maybe we were supposed to be doing a book or something. But in 12 weeks from now or 11 or 10 or 8, whenever the countdown is, we can then review it and see, is this part of our marketing strategy moving forward? And then we can put that into the next 12-week period. So we don't miss out, but we're not getting distracted. I love that. I really, really love that because so many people that I see have this entrepreneurial ADHD where something comes into their world, they're like, I have to do that thing. And whatever that thing is, they haven't finished whatever the last task was or the last goal, they've already moved on. They don't even finish implementing that and they've already moved on. We're staying focused to whatever it is that you're doing and still knowing that you can implement it 12 weeks down the track just to me straight away says that people are going to finish what they've started, which is what I believe is one of the greatest problems with people in my world that I see. They're just not finishing or being able to stay focused to to get the results that they really could be getting. Absolutely. And and then the other issue that does contribute to this is they're probably often doing the wrong things. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that um, there is a whole new topic all on its own, all right? It is. It's, it, <laughs> it's literally the next chapter in my book is, is um, knowing where to focus because a lot of the things that we're doing are actually a complete waste of time mm. and we can 
look at a formula that shows you that. And I introduced a concept in the very first chapter that helps you measure um, which activities are more effective than others so that you can keep focusing on those activities and reduce down the ones that don't get you a great result. So it, mm. it's all a combination. If you stack these ideas together, you start to make real headway. Mm. And from what I'm hearing as well, and, and I have read your book and, and I love the principles in it, is that being able to focus more but being able to step back and actually say, are these, you know, is what I'm doing helpful? Is it getting me towards my goal rather than just sitting down at a at our laptop for, you know, 17, 18 hours a day and just being super unproductive because you're exhausted, you know, being able to step back and reevaluate and say, you know, am I being productive? Is this working? Am I getting the results? Am I looking in the right place? <laughs> well, I can already answer that. If you're spending 17 hours on oh, the laptop. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. If someone is, yeah. um, the answer is absolutely, definitely not. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Probably after the first hour or two, there's not much happening from a productivity point yeah. of view because I've learned a lot about the need for sleep and the amount of willpower that you have yeah. in a day. And um, that's why it's essential to schedule it and to get a routine cooking because yeah. if you can have a really solid routine, you could have a lot more time off than you realize and still get no loss of outcome, which yeah. is you know, yeah. fantastic. And I, and I probably should go back and say, because people that know me would just would have just called me on that and gone saying you're a big fat liar because I have been the person that's worked 17 and 18 hour days and, it, and the time blocking, which was this, the second part of your three layers of planning, that was the, the number one thing that got me off that cycle was I remember saying to my coach, I don't have time to go to the gym. And he, ba- he called me on my crap and said, yeah, you do. Where does it fit? Um, so the time blocking was where basically it gave me my, my life back where I actually time blocked my, the things that were, um, really important to me personally. And then I blocked in my business times around that. And that's when, when everything turned around for me. So love that. Well, I think the, everyone's been through that phase because it's a natural thing to do as a entrepreneur. As soon as you quit a job, the one thing that you think is the greatest freedom on earth is that you can do whatever you want whenever you want and even my steadfast entrepreneurial friends who have stuck to that for a long time are starting to turn a little bit and accept that it's okay to have a routine and that if you can make a commitment to sacrifice some of your freedom in terms of blocking time it it actually becomes far more powerful because as soon as you delineate which time is work time, then that by default makes every other time non-work time. So it's actually more liberating if you can bear to to put that discipline down. And it was a big step for me and I resisted for a long time and I've found the the power in that. So well done on the scheduling. (laughs) Thanks. Wasn't my idea, but yeah, it's it's great. All right. So um, to make 2018 fantastic you know, planning and goal setting, time blocking, checking in and and doing things in 12-week blocks is great. But one of the other absolutely essential pieces of growing a business is building a team. And and I know this because you cannot do everything on your own. But the two things I hear so many times a day is either, number one, I can't afford it, or number two, I end up doing the work anyway. And I'm sure that you've heard that too. Can you take us through 
A, why we need to build a team, because I'd love to hear it through through your lens, and two, how we can start to do it, because I think I can't afford it is it's just the wrong way to look at it. So I'd love to hear your take on this. Right. Well, uh, yes, I do get the, those two a lot. Why do you need a team? Because there's a finite number of hours in each month. So as an employee or an entrepreneur, you're limited to a few hundred hours per month. Like you can, there's a physical constraint to how much you can work. We also just discussed before that you start to become pretty blunt if you keep working in large blocks. It's actually quite useless. And then there's the other factor that some people are more talented at the things that we're trying to do. And that's why I I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't teach someone to build a website anymore. I would, you know, impress upon them that it's far better to hire someone who's a website developer to get the project done. Mm. So that's why you need a team because you can hire their hours and hire their output and you can trade off activities that are not rewarding you as well as what you could be doing. So there's an opportunity cost. If you're particularly talented at coaching, then you probably should be hiring a website developer who will charge less than what you can charge yourself out as a coach. If a coach's effective hourly rate, which is the measure that I introduced in the first chapter, is somewhere around $500 to $2,000 per hour, it would make sense to hire out a website development uh, person, even if they were... $50 an hour for 30 hours to build a website, it's still better than you trying to learn how to be a website developer, which is a really common one. Okay, let's move on to why you can't afford it. It's simply because you don't have an offer that converts. You haven't worked on your sales offer and got people buying. Because as soon as you do that, you have money in your business to reinvest into other activities. Mm-hmm. So it's usually symptomatic of you actually not having a business. <laughs> you, I you've love got no, that. Hang on. You know, Can we just touch back on what you just said then? Sure. Symptomatic of not having a business. That was gold right there. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> well, it's really this a harsh reality. You, really you don't have is. a business. So you've got no reason to hire people because you don't actually have a business Mm. and people will say oh but I need a website and I need business cards and I need graphics and logos and I want to get a designer and a PR agent and all this they do all of this stuff before they even have an offer that's validated before Mm -hmm. someone's giving them money for Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. and I say look sell the thing first and then use that money to build your website and get the graphics and all of those you know secondary things Mm. and in the book I talk about an example of a friend of mine who has got none of those things. All she has is uh, a Google document that people fill out and from there she sends them an email and when they want to buy, they send her the money and then she talks to them on Skype. That's it. So Skype, a Google form, an email address and a PayPal account. They're like the minimum criteria Mm -hmm. that you need to validate an offer. Optional extras would be a domain name, a business name, a website, design, logos, banners, an office, all of these ridiculous, uh, exorbitant luxuries mm-hmm. that can come later, but funded from the offer that converts. So I made a whole chapter about it because that's the big problem with people uh, in business. They don't have yet something that they can sell that people will happily give them money for. And I know it's a very simple thing, but it's a very important thing. Mm-hmm. And What about this objection to, oh, but I can't sell something first before I make all that stuff? Well, actually, you can. (laughs) Like, you could run a workshop in a month from now. You could put up a simple page, even using a Wix site or whatever, 
for free. Just a simple page that says, here's what I've got. And this is what we're going to teach. Here's who I am. This is why you should trust me. Here's who else is coming along. This is what you'll be able to do after the course. This is how much it costs. This is how you pay for it. Um, here's your uh, guarantee clause. And if someone buys that, then you validated the offer. Now, by all means, soup it up, run some ads to it, um, invest in a website, GoPro, get a business name, all of that good stuff. Mm. But for now, sell the thing first and then reinvest in team. Mm. Now, the second question you asked me is uh, they end up hiring people and then doing the work themselves. Mm-hmm. So clearly, uh, they haven't dialed in the team thing just yet. They need to improve themselves, uh, hire better train better and lead better. So you should not be doing the work when you hire someone to do it. It just means that you have to develop yourself as a leader. So I I covered a lot of how you might do that in that particular chapter because it's probably the most important chapter to take someone from six figures to seven figures is, you know, they've already got an offer that converts by the time they're making six figures, but you're not going to get to a million dollars or more until you start hiring people. So, you know, it's firstly getting rid of all the tasks that you shouldn't be doing and then hiring the right people for those tasks and training them properly and having good expectations and setting up systems so that you can manage the activities that are being done and measure it. And then you'll start to to get better team members who you can have for a long time. And, you know, I'll use my own business as an example. The team members that I have now in my smaller version of the business because I sold my service businesses the year before last. Mm-hmm. Most of them are coming on to their eighth year with me now, so we're pretty stable. And I can assure you I'm really not doing most of the activities in my business. Aside from the podcast and uh, delivering on my coaching, the team does just about everything else from websites to sending emails to bookkeeping to payroll to content to illustrations to you, know, you name it, they're doing it. I love that. Um, what the offer that converts? I really loved this chapter. It's something that this could be a little controversial. I find that people that have been in business a while get this more than brand new business coaches. You know, the the brand you can tell the brand newbies on the block that are telling people you have to have the website and you you have to have the logo and you have to do this and have to do that. You know, you have to spend fifty thousand dollars to get up and running. And it, it absolutely is not the case. I don't think I've ever had any of that for anything that I've ever started because what's the point of spending the money for something that doesn't have legs? So I did want to touch on that there because I find that that's a really big tip for people who want to actually start making some money. You know, if you're not making some money, get that offer first and then put everything else once it's up and, once it's up and running. Absolutely. I mean, it's a risk if you spend a lot of money without validating it. So, I, the same as you, most of my products or services were derived from a real customer need and then I asked them to pay for it and they did. So, even when I started as an affiliate, I didn't set up the website or come up with the product or handle the support or anything. All I had to do was put a link to someone else's business, which I'd get commission for if someone purchased. So, my whole focus was just on that pre-sale phase and creating real value. And from that, I built around that using the money that I got as commission mm. to reinvest into my own tool set mm. to build an, you know, to get an autoresponder so that I could collect all my email addresses. But in the beginning, I was really just collecting one buyer at a time and it started off so small. You don't need to 
you don't need capital. And that's why in my business, I don't focus on startups because it's just too hard. <laughs> Even though I've done so many, but yeah. there's a lot of reasons they cannot go well, especially if someone comes up with a great idea, but they don't have a single buyer validation. Yes. Uh, the other thing is I don't focus on venture capital because I really don't think you need money for most of the business models that I teach. You just need a hungry customer and you need to be able to present them a solution in the in a low resolution prototype version. That's sort of design talk. Mm. But what is the smallest, easiest, dirtiest version you can get in front of someone that they could say yes to. And this is where we have a big problem with the preference versus performance. People ask around and say, what would you like? And then they say it and then someone goes and builds it and then they say it's ready and they say, oh, yeah, but I don't want it just now or, yeah, when I said I wanted it, uh, I didn't really mean I'd actually pay for it. All these excuses come out. Instead, just say, great, that's $500. Here's the PayPal link. Absolutely. I know a few years ago I had an idea for an online product after I'd been hearing a lot of problems. Exactly like I said before, the same problem was coming up over and over again. So rather than mess around with it, I had the idea in the morning. I sent out a whole heap of messages to people, got 10 paying clients that day, and I went, okay, I can't get this up and running on my own. So use the money from the 10 paying clients that day to hire a team, to put the tech in place. And in the meantime, I just did one-on-one coaching calls with them until it was built out. It cost me nothing up front and I had money in the bank. And that, and that's the way we know whether our offer is valuable or not because, as you said, asking a friend if they would buy it is so not the right thing to do. Ask someone who would actually put money in your pocket. Yeah, and def- definitely don't ask family members or anyone who's not a, a valid customer because they're going to give you terrible advice. Mm. You know, when I started my coaching business, I actually put a PayPal button on my website on one page and it just said mentoring with James. I think it was $700 a month recurring and eventually someone clicked on it and purchased. So, I got paid first and then I delivered the service each month and that cost me nothing to do. It just was like create one extra page on my website and put a PayPal button. So, I didn't even have a shopping cart back then. Nice. Even better. (laughs) There's a quote that you've put in your book that I really love, bad habits breed in good times. That quote jumped off the page at me. I really, really love this. And I'd love you to take us through a time that maybe a bad habit crept into your business in a good time. I don't know if it has for me because I've been aware of this one for a long time. I, mm-hmm. I was really mentored on this. And when I learned this expression, and I, I don't think it's an original one by any stretch, mm-hmm. um, it, it was when I was running, it was the second last place that I worked, and we were in a pretty awesome facility, which was nicknamed the Taj Mahal, like it was brand new, it was super expensive and very, very flash, and the challenge that they were having when I started working there was they'd built this great place, this Taj Mahal, and they were getting a very low customer satisfaction score. And I immediately recognized that they were literally complacent. They were relying on the fancy building to carry you know, the, the customer satisfaction index score, whereas they still needed to do the work. Mm. And I was able to get it, get it from last to first using something that I'd learned in a Seth Godin book, Purple Cow. And then I was able to replicate that. The next place that I went to was a dump. They'd rented out someone else's place while they were building a new dealership. And it was it had pink walls, the 
paint was falling off that it was the back half of the office was water damaged and the walls were like the roof was caved in yep. it was uh, tiny it was ugly yet we were still able to get a top score using the same system so um, really there was a, a very valuable lesson there that you know when things are going well te- people tend to get comfy and back off the gas and they get caught out when the tide turns mm. it's like this current phase of crypto investor geniuses you know they <laughs> a- oh anyone goodness, yes <laughs> anyone with a digital wallet has been able to buy some cryptocurrency and get phenomenal returns over the last year and they might be tempted to think they are a genius where in fact they're probably an extreme novice investor and it's just a matter of time until they get crushed. Mm. And then there'll be a lot of people crying about it and, and they'll be blaming everyone else except for themselves mm. when all these alternative coins become worthless, you know, if that happens. But it's very likely because it happens in property cycles and it happens in share market cycles and it happens in business. People stick to outdated business models for too long and then they get caught out or they build up a whole traffic uh, river on one source and then it stops and then they get all concerned about it because you know it's youtube's fault or google's fault or facebook's Mm. fault when in fact it was their fault Mm. because they're the one responsible for this in the first place yeah so i think it's uh it was a really valuable lesson to see that people had gotten all cushy and complacent so this is where things like that 12-week check-in cycle means you're never getting too complacent because you know i talked about i think in chapter one uh, under personal effectiveness how important it is to look in the mirror and to be very responsible for your own future if you can do step one it's like literally in the first part of the first chapter you will save yourself from the embarrassment and tragedy of uh, becoming complacent, of getting out of step with your ego and your humility, and you'll you'll prevent yourself from a nasty fall. It's only people who get carried away with themselves and start to disconnect from the raw honesty of where they're actually at uh, who come a, a cropper, as mm. we like to say. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice Aussie saying. There. It is. <laughs> so – Who do you think would get the most benefit from reading this book? Is it all business owners? Take us through who the person that's going to get the most value from this. Well, I'm going to say it's a very general book. I didn't make it too technical. I wrote it for my kids who are age range between 15 to 22 Mm -hmm. because I wanted them to shortcut all of those decades worth of lessons that I had to learn the hard way, Mm -hmm. reading thousands of books and going into multiple different business environments. And think about how much data I've seen in the last decade coaching all of these business owners at various markets and different levels of business. I put that all into one book. So it would really help anyone from a kid who's 15 at school through to an employee, through to someone who has quit their job, built a business and got it even to a very high level. Some of the best feedback that I'm getting is from uh, very experienced business owners. In fact, people who I looked up to when I started, uh, people like Perry Marshall and John Reese uh, have, have given me kind words about the book and Jonathan Mizell. These are people who were the, the first people I followed online a decade ago and are very established, have published amazing products and they got something from the book. So it, 
it really does cover any level. Mm. And I was interested to hear what you said because I've been in business 25 years myself. I've had multiple businesses. I've done the six-figure. I've done the seven-figure. haven't quite cracked the H, but it's the plan. And I read this book and the way that you have broken down all the chapters I thought was absolutely gold. I got so much from it. I think it's a really fabulous book. I really honestly think every business owner should pick it up. Tell us for the people that are listening that would like to get their hands on a copy, how can they do so? The easiest way is just to go to Amazon in your region and you get the paperback and the Kindle version on Amazon Mm -hmm. and uh, there'll be an audible version soon for those who like to listen. Mm -hmm. So the book's called Work Less, Make More by James Shramko. James, thank you so much for sharing all of your value, all of your wisdom with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for hosting it, Samantha. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Unlimited Influence Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about what we're doing or if you'd like to listen to previous episodes, head over to samanthariley.com.au.